Alright, welcome back to Hellspan. This is part 6 of The Cancer Code by Dr. Jason Fung. This is the last episode of the series, and in this episode I will be discussing treatment implications. So things we can do right now to slow our chances of getting cancer, and also be discussing immunotherapy as well, including CTLA-4 inhibitors, program death inhibitors, and CAR-T. So to begin, we have to understand that cancer is inevitable. We are either going to die with cancer or we are going to die from cancer. So autopsy studies find unsuspected prostate cancer in 30% of men over the age of 50, 50% by age of 70, and an astounding 80% by the age of 90. If he lives long enough, every man can expect to develop prostate cancer. This holds true for other cancers too. And colonoscopy screening studies find adenomas, which are precancerous lesions, in almost half of the general population by age 80. So diet is a hugely important determinant of progression because we know nutrient availability is really linked to cell growth, uh, particularly for cancer cells. And last episode, I talked all about mTOR, um, the different uh, types of uh, PI3 kinases, these pathways that really help promote cancer. So you can check that out. And it's really exciting to know that we, we really do have control, at least, of one variable in our cancer risk, and that, of course, is the foods we eat. And Jason Fung would love to reveal this, like, quote-unquote secret to prevent or, or cure cancer, but cancer is not so simple. There is no miracle food or diet that can keep cancer at bay. So for the most part, Dietary prevention of cancer boils down to one key strategy, which of course is avoiding diseases of hyperinsulinemia, including obesity and type 2 diabetes. So prevent yourself from getting obesity, type 2 diabetes, you're going to lessen your chance of getting cancer earlier. And again, I talked about this in previous podcasts, how hyperinsulinemia, obesity, diabetes, and cancer are all linked together, so you can go ahead and check that out. So calorie restriction, which is defined as a reduction of energy intake without malnutrition, was first shown to inhibit the growth of tumors in mice in 1909. But we know that maintaining drastic calorie restriction is extremely difficult for humans. Uh, Dieting in general is just very difficult for humans. We are creatures of habit. Um, It's possible for us to follow diets for the short while, but in the long term, we know most diets fail. So rather than restricting all calories, another strategy may be to reduce the most insulin-stimulating foods, such as sugars and refined carbohydrates. The nutrient sensor insulin slash insulin growth factor is a vital growth factor that plays a role in causing obesity and type 2 diabetes. And research shows that reducing blood insulin may reduce the risk of cancer. And high insulin levels are also associated with poor prognosis in cancer cases. So this is one of, the, one of the best benefits of fasting and calorie restriction is that reduction in overall insulin levels. Now, remember in previous podcasts, I discussed how insulin is one of the main factors that activates mTOR. Well, if we reduce our insulin levels, we can reduce our mTOR and thus uh, prevent the kind of growth and spread of cancer. Now, I'm going to take a brief second to talk about cancer cachexia. So cancer cachexia is this phenomenon of unintentional weight loss, which is observed in patients with advanced diseases and poor prognosis. 
So you may know someone with cancer who is in the is in you know stage four cancer, late stages. They're gonna die in a few months, and you can see they're extremely uh, wasted, like muscle wise and body wise. They look like they hadn't eaten in months. Now cachexia, again, which is this phenomenon of unintentional weight loss, is likely due to the release of inflammatory cytokines from the cancer cells. So cancer cells have been known to uh, secrete TNF-alpha, which is one, one of the inflammatory cytokines. And this is the thing that's actually causing the cachexia. And approximately equal amounts of muscle and fat are lost for energy production in cancer cachexia. So it's not like we're losing fat, we're losing both this kind of like muscle and fat. Um, and we know treatment of cancer cachexia is very difficult because simply eating more food does not reduce the uh, inflammatory cytokines that are being produced like TNF-alpha. So it does not prevent the muscle loss or the wasting syndrome. And even if weight is regained, it may be regained as fat, while muscle loss continues uh, unabated. So back to fasting and cancer. Intermittent fasting is a promising nutritional approach for cancer prevention, as it protects against many of the risk factors, such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, and inflammation. And low-carbohydrate diets reduce glucose and insulin, but not the other nutrient sensors, uh, mTOR and AMP kinase. So fasting simultaneously reduces all the human nutrient sensors and most of the growth pathways, like PI3 kinase, mTOR, and IGF-1. And it also increases autophagy and mitophagy. So fasting during chemotherapy may also reduce the side effects of treatment while increasing its efficacy. So fasting protects normal cells by putting them in this quiescent state or maintenance mode, which may help mitigate chemotherapy's side effects of hair loss and nausea. So I talked about this extensively in the Longevity Diet by Dr. Walter Longo, how we can use fasting with cancer chemotherapy to uh, mitigate these side effects and actually give patients a better outcome if they fast a certain way uh, when they're getting their cancer treatment. So you can check out the longevity podcast, uh, the longevity diet podcast I did, where I talk more about that. So next, we're going to move on to chemo prevention. So the term chemo prevention or cancer chemo prevention was introduced by the NIH in 1976 to denote foods, supplements, or drugs that may block progression of cancer. Now, one of the most promising chemopreventative drugs is the old diabetes drug metformin. So again, I've talked about metformin extensively. Studies have demonstrated that in type 2 diabetes, metformin may, may potentially reduce the risk of cancer by as much as 21% to 57%. Now, specifically, long-term metformin use in women with type 2 diabetes was associated with a more than 50% reduction in breast cancer risk. A more than 50% reduction in breast cancer risk. So that's pretty phenomenal. Metformin works by reducing glucose to growing cancer without the pro-growth effects of the insulin IGF PI3 kinase pathway. And it also activates AMP kinase, which is, again, an important nutrient sensor and growth pathway, which rapidly inhibits cellular protein synthesis and growth. And some research uh, has indicated that this beneficial anti-cancer effect might extend to non-diabetics as well. So in the book Age Later by Dr. Nir Barzilay, I 
talk about the TAME study that he's putting on, which is the targeting aging, um, targeting aging for metformin. And you can read more about how metformin specifically reduces uh, cancer risk. Um, and of course, that landmark study that showed that people with diabetes on metformin actually live longer than people during the same age without diabetes. So pretty uh, landmark studies, and you can read more about that or listen more about that in my Age Later podcast that I did um, on Nir Barzilay's book. So the most widely studied natural food for chemo prevention is green tea, which contains high levels of a chemical compound called uh, catechins. And drinking green tea may help reduce some of the risk factors for cancer, such as excessive weight, um, insulin resistance, inflammation, and type 2 diabetes. So in 2000, researchers in Japan found that high consumption of green tea delayed the average age of cancer onset by 7.3 years and reduced breast cancer recurrence. So green tea extracts supplements were shown to reduce the incidence of colorectal adenomas by over 50% in small pilot studies. So these studies are very promising but highly preliminary. But green tea is one of the few chemopreventative tools that is low cost, uh, natural food with no negative side effects that you can start doing right now uh, to delay your chances of uh, getting cancer earlier. So at this point, <clears throat> the available scientific studies can make only the following firm recommendations. If you are overweight, lose weight, and avoid or reverse type 2 diabetes. And if you have type 2 diabetes, consider metformin and also considering drinking more green tea. So these are just some of the chemopreventative strategies that Jason Fung outlines in his Cancer Code book. Uh, for now, we are going to move on to immunotherapy. So uh, as the ancient Chinese strategist Sun Tzu wrote in his The Art of War book, um, he quoted, In war, the way is, is to avoid what is strong and strike at what is weak. So how does this philosophy apply to cancer treatments? So the previous paradigms of cancer all failed because they focused on attacking cancer's strengths and not its weaknesses. So let's take uh, cancer paradigm 1.0, for example. Uh, the idea that cancer is caused by this excessive growth. So we attacked the disease's main strength head on. And sometimes we won with these uh, chemo strategies. Uh, but more often times than not, we lost. Uh, when cancer recurred, it became resistant to previous treatments and continued growing. How about cancer paradigm 2.0? The idea that cancer is caused by these randomly accumu accumulated genetic mutations. Well, we block one pathway and cancer will usually find an alternate route. The mutation that made cancer cells, the ultimate survivors were not random, but were driven by the process of tumor evolution. So the logical strategy to win the war is to enhance our own innate defense, uh, which is the immune system, uh, which brings us to the most promising treatment of the last 30 years, which is immunotherapy. Now, the idea that our own immune system can fight cancer is not really new. It's new in the sense that just in these past 30 years, a lot of treatments have come out, but the idea of immunotherapy has been around for the longest time. So spontaneous regression of malignant cancers is rare, but it occurs in approximately 1 in 100,000 cancer cases. And he 
talks about the ancient Egyptian physician uh, Imhotep, who suggested wrapping the cancer area with like bacteria, and then these bacteria could enter the skin to cause an infection, which would again stimulate our immune system, which would occur, uh, occasionally cure the cancer. He also talks about a story in the 1880s about this German immigrant named Fred Stein. He, Fred Stein developed a fast-growing tumor in his neck, and he also ended up developing a, a facial uh, infection called erysipelas, which is just like this uh, skin infection. And of course, antibiotics weren't around back then. So incredibly, his ramped-up immune system not only beat back the erysipelas infection, but destroyed cancer as well. So he actually cured his his uh, tumor in his neck and the facial uh, erysipelas just by his own immune system. So we didn't know about immunotherapy uh, back then, but this is what has been going on. And he also talks about a cool story about an American surgeon. His name is Dr. William Coley. So Coley inoculated uh, patients with strep pyogenes bacteria to trigger... Uh, uh, to, to trigger like the, an, his immune system, and Coley hoped this immune response would extend to like the malignancy that people were having. Um, so he actually developed like a formula. So he tinkered uh, his formula by adding other bacteria besides streptopyogenes. For example, he added serratia, which is another bacteria, into his formula, and he inactivated these bacteria with heat before administration. And this formula that he came up with, which is now called Coley's toxin, uh, was ultimately used to treat more than a thousand patients with inoperable cancers, including lymphomas, myelomas, carcinomas, and melanomas. So Coley himself emphasized that causing a fever was paramount for inducing spontaneous regression. And that's exactly what was going on. So Coley's toxins were last used in China in 1980, where a patient with terminal liver cancer was treated over the course of 34 weeks. And his symptoms disappeared completely. Now, with the advent of chemotherapy and the genetic paradigm of cancer, Coley's toxins have been seen only really in history books. And for decades, the idea of cancer immunotherapy was pushed aside. So even back then, we, we, we were seeing that our own immune system is actually strong enough to defeat cancer cells. Um, but a, a lot of times these were kind of pushed to the side once chemotherapy uh, you know, platinum drugs were coming out, and uh, there's a, there's been a lot of advancements since then. And we're going to be talking about a few of those in just a second. So the next sec section is on immune editing. So in 1909, a German scientist named Paul Elrich uh, proposed a radical new theory of cancer. So Elrich conjectured that cancer cells are relatively common but are prevented from doing more harm uh, by an intrinsic host defense, which of course is our own immune system. So although he did not know it at the time, he was describing the concept of immune surveillance, whereby the human immune system constantly identifies and eradicates evolving tumors. So you probably have cancer cells floating around you right now, um, but our immune system is so strong and it can actually see and identify these uh, Cancer cells through like our natural killer cells and our T cells all help uh, destroy these cancer cells that are in us right now. Uh, and this, this is the idea of immune surveillance. 
Now, immunotherapy. So immunotherapy is very similar. It's using our own immune system to treat cancers. So in 1992, there was a brief uh, flurry of interest in cancer immunotherapy with the development of IL-2 treatment. So interleukin, again, is a cytokine. IL-2 specifically is the one that stimulates T-cells, which are integral parts of our immune system. And it sends our immune system into a frenzy and cancer cells uh, were killed in the crossfire. So IL-2 was kind of like this uh, frenzy that happened in the early 1990s. Uh, But since then, we've kind of developed new uh, cancer treatments that I discussed at the very beginning of this podcast, which are the CTLA-4 inhibitors, the program death inhibitors, and CAR-T. And I'll be getting into those right now. So Nobel laureate, Dr. James Allison, he was a a professor and he, in the 1990s, uh, was working with this newly described receptor known as cytotoxic T-lymphocyte-associated protein, uh, otherwise known as CTLA-4. So CTLA-4, the way I would describe it or the way Dr. Jason Fung describes it is a kill switch. So CTLA-4 acts as a kill switch. It's a sort of like checkpoint for T-cells. So it was this final decision maker whether T-cells were going to be activated or not. So if CTLA-4 was not engaged, the T-cells would launch their nuclear assault. If the kill switch was hit, then the immune system attack would shut down. So if we could disable this kill switch, which is CTLA-4, we could unleash the T-cells all-out assault on cancer cells. So by 1986, Allison engineered a monoclonal antibody that could block CTLA-4 and become the world's first checkpoint inhibitor. So to recap, once again, CTLA-4 is a kill switch. It turns off these T-cells. So Allison invented a monoclonal antibody that blocks the kill switch and allows activation for T-cells and allows our T-cells to kill the cancer. And he developed an antibody, um, again, this monoclonal antibody called ipilimumab. And it was approved in 2011 by the FDA for the treatment of metastatic metastatic melanoma. And it was the first drug of any type to improve survival in advanced melanoma and provided proof proof of concept um, of of like this cancer immunotherapy. And more than 20% of patients with metastatic melanoma who received this drug were still alive 10 years later. So this CTLA-4 inhibitor made by Allison was really this like proof of concept, uh, novel approach to using our T-cells to kill the, to the kill cancer. And in 1992, um, people in Kyoto University in Japan, um, specifically Dr. Tasuku Honjo, discovered another T-cell uh, kill switch called the program death, uh, program cell death protein or PD one. So normally, healthy cells express PD one on their surface to protect them from the immune from immune attack. Now, cancer cells use the same trick, producing abundant PD one to disguise themselves as normal cells and protect against attack from the immune system. So a sort of like wolf in a sheep's clothing. So an antibody that blocked PD-1 would release the kill switch, allowing T-cells to target that uncloaked cancer cells. So 
If there's something you learned from this podcast, it's that cancer cells are very smart. They use our own PD-1 protein to kind of cloak themselves and act as normal cells. But again, we developed a program death one inhibitors that kind of uncloaked or unmasked these cancer cells and allowed our T cells to target them. Another promising immunotherapy uh, is a technology called adoptive T cell transfer. So in this treatment, a patient's own T cells uh, are extracted and then grown in a lab. A cancer targeting system called chimeric antigen receptor or CAR-T is attached to T cells, which are then transferred back into the patient. So they take the patient's uh, T cells out, they attach this antigen receptor, and they put those uh, T cells back into the patient. And this activated lethal T cells um, and allowed them to kind of like target specifically the cancers, like a precision-guided missile. So there's a lot of, di- lot of advantages to these CAR-T. Uh, for example, the boosted immune system is a dynamic system that can better keep pace with the cancer's moves and the immune system can adjust and evolve alongside the cancer. Secondly, the immune system has a memory, so it may prevent recurrence of cancer. Thirdly, immunotherapy has fewer side effects than standard chemo uh, because the immune system is really targeting uh, just the cancer cells and not all our cells. And finally, immunotherapy is a systemic treatment, which is crucial because cancer is a systemic disease. And Obviously, one of the disadvantages of CAR-T and these other immunotherapies is that they're extremely costly. So affordability is not one of the advantages of immunotherapy. All these cost uh, extremes amount of money, and we kind of have to weigh the, the, the cost and the benefits um, when we're deciding to kind of give these patients uh, immunotherapy. So immunotherapy, the technology of, behind immunotherapy is really revolutionary, And the future is bright, but it has not really yet arrived yet. So despite the number of drugs approved by the FDA between 2002 and 2014, the improvement in overall survival for solid tumors is really just 2.1 months. So still for the first time uh, in decades, there is kind of reason to be optimistic with all these new immunotherapies. And applying the lesions uh, or applying the lessons of evolutionary biology to our understanding of cancer brings new hope for the future of treatment. So he will question, uh, will we turn the corner on cancer? And only time will tell. But our new understanding of our ancient foe promises a light at the end of this dark, dark tunnel. So that is the end of the book. There is some light at the end of the tunnel. It's immunotherapy. Hopefully a lot more research will be put into immunotherapy so we can uh, uh, start treating these uh these cancers. Uh, That's the end of the book. That's a six-part series of Cancer Code. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. And I hope you tune in next time for uh, another book that I'll be doing. So thank you for listening.